0: The Pull is brought to you by the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, the world's premier annual gathering of bicycle frame builders and frame building enthusiasts. The 2019 show will take place March 15th to 17th at the Sacramento Convention Center in Sacramento, California. We hope to see you there. From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. On this week's show, my guest is Leonard Zinn, whose book Zinn and the Art of Mountain Bike Maintenance has just been released in its sixth edition by Velo Press. Zinn is best known for his work as technical editor for Velo News, but he joined the magazine more than 20 years ago as a result of his work as a frame builder. Zinn Cycles has specialized in creating bikes for the big and tall set. If ever I was going to suggest a frame builder to say LeBron James, it would be Leonard Zinn. That Zinn's book title plays on Robert M. Pirsig's legendary philosophical treatise Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is no accident. While the similarity between Zinn and Zen was a happy coincidence, Zinn's evocation of Pirsig's work has been an important part of what the book imparts to its readers, the need for patience and a love of process, not just the outcome. Including Zinn and the Art of Mountain Bike Maintenance, he is the author of five books. Thanks for joining me on the poll. How are you doing?
1: Good. Thank you.
0: Cool. Um, and if memory serves, you're in Boulder proper, right?
1: Yes, uh. Address is Boulder. We're unincorporated Boulder County. We're a little bit outside of.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, the How's the,
1: place Boulder?
0: Has yeah. <laughs> How's the summer there?
1: It's good. It's been good. Yeah. Cool. Been traveling a lot, and I fortunately was traveling just at the time when my hay fever allergies are the worst. So I got out of here when when uh, I was sneezing badly and went to Germany, and then doll stopped and came back, and pretty good now.
0: That's, that's nice. Uh, I, I'm allergic myself. And so, yeah, I like to not be places where I, I sneeze a lot. (laughs) Well, so we're talking because the sixth edition of your book, Zen and the art of mountain bike maintenance is now out. Six editions, dude. That's a, that's a pretty objective mark of success for a book. Um, you know, other than adding some new sections on new components like electronic shifting, I'm curious, how has the book changed over the years?
1: Well, you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the systems have changed over the years. Like one of the first ones was when we went from threaded headsets. When I first did the bike, did the book, we had threaded headsets. <laughs> so that's a dim memory, and <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, all all bottom brackets were threaded originally, and now we've got ten different standards of bottom brackets so so keeping up with that and having tables so that you you know you can figure out what's going to fit with what and what kind of bike is going to require what and and um that's that's been a big thing also over time i would guess when i wrote the first edition in 1995 we were probably at seven or eight speeds in the rear
0: yeah oh yeah yeah
1: so each time then the chains get narrower and the spacing between the cogs get gets narrower and have to, you know, make sure people understand that and what's going to be compatible with what and, and, um, and, uh, and, and in fact now with the 12 speed, there's now a, a whole different kind of a free hub body in order to use a smaller first cog and, um, and, uh, and then tools, you know, the, I think pretty much when I wrote the first book in 1995, you could get away with a pretty um, minuscule tool set. You really could. Yeah. yeah. You did have to have headset wrenches, which you no longer need anymore. And you had to have, um, you know, like a, a pin tool and a, and a, and a, and a uh, notched tool. Um, lock ring tool for the bottom bracket you don't need those Eh, some bottom brackets maybe you still do but but basically you don't need those anymore but you do need lots of specialized tools for instance if you want to work on your brakes now back then all you needed was either a eight millimeter eight millimeter open end wrench or a five millimeter hex key and now you've got to have a, a bleed kit specific to your brake and and the the proper fluid for that and and um, so tools, you know, making sure people understand what tools they're going to need has been a big deal.
0: Yeah, very much. Uh, I've I, I've run into problems of needing a new tool case because I've got so many tools. It's like, oh, I now need another place to put all the tools I've picked up over the years. <laughs> um, so when the book first came out, you know, I recall thinking at the time that it was a big improvement on the other books that existed. Um You know, it wouldn't be as necessary if Shimano, SRAM, and other component makers did more to publish instructions on the installation and maintenance of their parts. Um, But as the book has grown and developed, you know, one of its real strengths is the way that it addresses real-world conditions. Why do you think your book is so much more reflective of the experience of home mechanics than most instruction manuals out there?
1: Well... One is that I'm a home mechanic. I've always had my business in my home, other than a brief period where I did have my shop in a in a rented commercial space. Uh-huh. I've always been much more comfortable having a huge garage with my shop in there, and so I I am a home mechanic. And I and well, yes, we assemble a lot of bikes here. I um I still look at it from the perspective of, of how I need to make my bikes work work best, my personal bikes, and um, and what I'm going to be confronting as a home mechanic, and so yeah, I I, I I still have that mentality. I don't I don't come into a um, come into it from a you know retail bike shop perspective or something.
0: But even beyond just working on your bike at home, there are an awful lot of, you know, real world tips about what to do when you're, you know, 20 miles into a 40 mile mountain bike ride and you've bent a wheel, broken a chain, you know, put a huge gash in a tire. Um, You know, there are, there are publications that have been pretty good at, at, you know, publishing tips that way. But again... Most of the books aren't really all that great at that stuff. Um, I mean, I know you're you're renowned for being a, a pretty or at least were a very hard rider, big epic rides, former U.S. national team rider. So you've been out there on the road plenty. But what was it in your mindset that said, oh, we've got to include this in the book?
1: Uh, well, I'm, you know, yes, I, I've always ridden a lot. But there is another part to it, which was, you know, my wife was her whole career has been a, a, first a teacher and then a school principal. And I always used to take massive quantities of kids on, on, uh, mountain bike rides. You know, I'd take the entire, her entire school to Moab for a week. Um, every, every kid in the whole school got to go to Moab for a week when they were middle school. And, uh, and you know, you of course run into just about everything you can imagine then in a situation like that with a hundred kids and their bikes in all sorts of levels of, of, um, repair or disrepair and, and, uh, and people doing completely unexpected things that you never figured somebody would try and do and, and, um, and, and having to deal with it in non-ideal circumstances. And, um, so And I remember those things (laughs) and 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 think of of the person buying my book and that if they ran into that situation, I would like them to know what I came up with in that moment to to resolve that situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I guess one of the things that really benefits your book uh, is your experience as a frame builder. You know, you by nature of that work. You've got to be resourceful, creative, able to just get in and, and you know build what you need. Um, can you speak to that for just a second? Sure. Um, you know, I I'm
1: as a frame builder. Yes, you you not only are building frames, but generally you're building tools. You have to build what it is you build the frames with. You know, jigs, the the alignment fixtures, the. Whatever, because usually you don't have enough money to buy these fancy tools that do exist for that. And um, and uh, yeah, so so that's that's a big part of it. And and um, and, you know, I have to make sure as a frame builder that every part fits know that the person gets the bike and there is no, are no surprises I don't get some phone call like hey I'm trying to put this thing on and it doesn't fit what's the deal and and um, you wouldn't necessarily think about those details of those fit details if all you do is you buy bikes and then you just tweak on the bikes the parts that are already on there but 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 they're you know really critical um, Critical specifications that have to be met, uh, and always have been. Those those specifications have changed as the components have changed, and the and the, the the standards and the styles and everything have changed. But but nonetheless, there's always this this certain requirement to to adhere to specifications in order that that uh, the the bike will function the way it was meant to. And 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 you know, and of course, as a frame builder, I. I not only want them to fit, I feel this great responsibility, that person spending a lot of money buying a bike from me, that they're going to get it and it's just going to work right. And, and so, um, uh, you know, and, and so I don't really see how I could have, how I could have written this book as thoroughly had I not been a frame builder. I, I think you know, that, that alone, that investment in, you know, ensuring that each customer's happy with their bike makes me look at it from a perspective that, you know, most mechanics I don't think would tend to look at it from.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. And it's one of those things where, yeah, there have been many points where in going through the book, I've thought, you know, that's something, you know that wouldn't be in there were he not a frame builder and somebody just uh, intimately knowledgeable of how bikes actually work. Not just creative, but somebody who's who's really been in the trenches. Uh, but let's, you know, the way back machine, so to speak, your book still talks about things like thumb shifters, V-brakes, freewheels, axle nuts, you know, other things that most of us haven't seen in a little while. Why are those still in the book?
1: Well, because there are still a lot of bikes, old bikes out there. And, and what I really want is because the person that has that old bike, like person with the brand new bikes, there's information as the new parts, there's information out there on the web that they can find about how to, how to work on their, on their stuff. It may not be complete. It may not be as all in one place as in my book and as, Mm -hmm thorough, but, but, um, but it's, it is there, but if you've got an old bike, there's nothing, you know, you, so if that's, that's the way I see it, that I need, I, this bike, this book is intended to work for everybody's mountain bike. And, and, um, and I see a lot of people riding some pretty old beaters, even here in Boulder, where it's, uh, you know, just in commuting bikes, for instance. And, and so, so, um, that's, uh, that's why I keep, keep those parts in. There have been some things that I've eliminated that really did disappear specifically in the road books. I'm thinking about like Mavic zap and Mavic mektronic that were the (laughs) systems and those did completely disappear. And and there's maybe 10 of them out there on the road. There's still, still kicking around and so i'm not worried about those i took those things out soft ride beams that's a that's something <laughs> that used to be in the mountain bike book and i did take out but um but yeah axle nuts and cantilever brakes and and standard standard brake cable yokes and and threaded headsets and and um stems with expander bolts it's they're still out there
0: yep yep uh it, it's true <laughs> uh so this podcast talks a lot about craft and a big piece of craft is process you know there are so many moments in your book where i think okay that's something i've definitely experienced either you know in the garage or out on the ride but bringing that experience from the desk you know it's one thing for you to know that stuff right um but bringing the experience from the desk or to the desk from the shop you know or out on a ride can really be a challenge from the simple standpoint of memory I'm I'm really uh, interested to know your process you know that methodology you have for making sure that when you encounter one of those little moments you make sure you know like uh, having the valve stem at four o'clock to let sealant uh, drain before opening a valve uh, I got that wrong once. <laughs> Um, you know what is that methodology you have for making sure that you include
1: those moments in the book okay well there's really two things that I see one is when I'm on the ride and I have an issue I fix it as soon as I get home I don't like Wait so then it's Friday <laughs> tomorrow when I jump on the bike oh yeah crap you know I meant to, to deal with that and I forgot to and so that's, that's the first thing. And sometimes that requires a reminder because it's like there's some little nagging thing, but you don't notice it every pedal stroke. You don't notice it the whole time. So, so I actually have mnemonic devices about stuff like that. Like I fold up one sleeve of my jersey, I roll it up. So then I get home and I'm, why is my jersey rolled? Oh, that was to remind me to, <laughs> to fix this, that stupid thing on my rear derailleur that was bugging me. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, I take notes whenever, whenever I run into something like that and I just take the note. I have one copy of whatever is the current issue of the book running that I write edit copy on. And, and then, um, and then whenever I run into something like that, I take a note about it and what my solution was and I just stick it in the book. And then when it's time to redo it, all those are in there. The book has gotten really fat by then because of all these pieces of paper I've stuck in there. But, but, um, Well, that's, it's not rocket science. It's just kind of taking, taking notes.
0: Yeah. Stay in present tense with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Now the book announces that it is a book about maintenance, yet it includes a section on bicycle fit uh, and even one on wheel building. How do you decide what really needs to be in the book versus those things that are just well, for lack of a better phrase, too in the weeds to belong?
1: Well, you know, I look at it from the span- standpoint of, yes, it's a maintenance book, but it's but it's a book really about what do people need or want to be able to best use their bike. And if they are, aren't sitting on it right, you know, they're uncomfortably fit on it, then um, it doesn't matter how smooth their chain is or how, Well the derailleur shifts, you know, it's gonna not be a the ideal experience. And so Mm -hmm. so that's how I look at the sort of the fit sections. And you know, wheel building has traditionally been a job of the mechanic. I mean that's what that you know, that's you didn't you couldn't buy wheels. You bought hubs and you bought spokes and you bought rims and that's and then you created wheels. Now of course, that's like seen like a little weird little sideline craft and everybody just buys prebuilt wheels. But you know, it's, I think it's an important thing. And if you, and once you build one wheel, you can then fix any wheel that you have problems with pretty much. And, um, and so uh, I, I do think it's a useful skill. I think everybody would gain from building wheels. And we, you know, in my business, we, we focus on mostly most of our customers are really big people I'm I'm six five most of my customers are taller than me and a lot heavier than me and 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 we really can't use pre-built wheels for them we actually build all our wheels for all these bikes and so for us here it's a it's just part of the day to-day and I, I I never see that as separate from brake bleeding or Or, uh, you know, adjusting derailers or whatever. It's just part of the part of the bike mechanic job.
0: Yeah, totally understandable, given given your perspective on this, Uh, you know, not not to go down a rabbit hole or anything. But I'm curious, the wheels that you build for your customers, uh, you know, kind of broadly speaking, we talking 36 hole three cross or, or are we talking even beefier than that?
1: No, that's about, that's generally right. 36 hole, three cross with the rim is critical, mm-hmm. you got really strong rim. So, so, um, that's, that's the foundation of it. And then after that, um, yeah. And, and, you know, learning some things like the fact that rather than using fat spokes, like 2.0 straight gauge spokes, Wheels actually la- last longer with the more expensive, lighter butted spokes because because the 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 one point eight millimeter thinner center section is is able to stretch more and allow the the, the wheel to be more dynamic and move with because as a big heavy person rolls this thing along, it gets D shaped at the bottom, you know, and and as that that flat spot moves past, you want the spokes to be able to take that up and 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 if you have if you have a, uh, a spoke that's less able to stretch and move with it, you actually break spokes sooner than if you had the lighter double butted spoke. And you know, we just learn things like that over the years, and and um, and do some things that might seem somewhat surprising, but end up making a stronger, more longer lasting wheel. Sure,
0: that part's not really surprising at all. Uh, talk to me about go to rims that you like.
1: Well, velocity velocity makes a, a number of, of of deep deep V-shaped rims. That that's that's what we um, that's what we tend to use. Um, there are for mountain bikes. There are some uh, some stands rims that we do do use also a fair amount too. He's got some heavier duty ones. And with a mountain bike, it's it's not quite as hard because you can you know if a person's basically going to use it for cross country and trail riding. Things you can you can then get a rim meant for enduro or, or or downhill or something that will then serve well for a for a big heavy person.
0: Sure. Sure. With the,
1: the road wheels, you 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 generally have to seek out something like this Velocity db or something like that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, now, when I think about the term hacking. Uh, first, I think it's completely overused at this point, but one of the real strengths of your, of your book is the way you break down real-world problems, uh, such as crashing on a ride, bending a wheel. Uh, not everything you include is exactly what some man- manufacturers would advocate. How do you balance what you know their view to be versus what you really do when you're in a jam And do you ever get any pushback from somebody like Shimano, uh, to one of your recommendations?
1: Well, um, the way I see it is, is if the downside of not being able to ride out exceeds the upside of pleasing a manufacturer, I'm going to, I'm going to go on the side of the person needing to ride their bike out of wherever they are when they've had a problem. And, um, and and secondly, uh, I really only get get pushback when it's about like you say hacking into specific brand specific problems. Like if it's if I say you know if with this Shimano part, if you have this problem, then you you know you can resolve it by doing this you know uh, non non, uh, non Shimano recommended procedure. But, but in general, that's not the case. I mean, it's, it's like, here's how, if you fold up a wheel, here's how you can get out. If you, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not specific to the brand of wheel. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in that case, yeah, I really don't get, get pushback from, from, uh, manufacturers about it. It's, it's, um, cause everybody's subject to the same thing. All wheels, you know, given the right forces will get crumpled. And how are you going to deal with it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess I, you know, I should also note that, you know, some of your, shall we say, more adventurous experiments uh, are really reserved for your column with Fellow News, where, you know, you've talked about how, uh, you know, running an 11-speed cassette, you know, with Campagnolo, you can you know, you can run that in a Shimano drivetrain and not really have any problems. You know, you were always uh, really on top of, you know, okay, so I've got, you know, these five parts, they're not all Altegra. How do I make them all work together? Um, and that's that sort of stuff really has been reserved for your work in VeloNews as opposed to in this book.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, it, of course, informs what I do in the book, uh, and, but I... But I talk more about it in general terms in the book, like specify, you know, here's the shifter, the activation ratio of the rear derailleur. Here's the cable pull for each click on on this kind of shifter, and here's the spacing between the the cogs and a formula for how you figure out, you know, the table, how you figure out what's what can work with what. Rather than me sitting there listing a whole bunch of things that are going to work with each other in in, in the book, um, where yeah, and, and on my column I would be getting a specific question: Can I use this derailleur with this shifter and that chain? And then I can, uh, you know, just go from there. The book would be a thousand pages long. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's, uh, it's got a good start toward that. Yeah. Um, it is, I mean, it's what double the length of the first edition.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's
0: I opened the envelope and it's like, my gosh, what a piece of work this is. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm just, I'm deeply impressed by everything that's in it. Uh, and you know, what's in it is, you know, it represents an incredible body of knowledge. You know, my question about that would be, you know, to be knowledgeable about a subject requires, yes, a huge investment of time. And an understanding that, you know, some processes are just flat out time consuming and require patience. And honestly, you need to enjoy the work. Um, I love that in your inventory of tools that you may need, you know, which is early in the book, you include things like your noggin and a sound system uh to what degree do you think that the fact that you are a frame builder mattered in the writing of this book even beyond just you know we've talked about uh you know making your own tooling and that sort of thing you know had you not been a frame builder how would that have affected uh you know the 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 writing of the book and you know what your skill set is
1: well um i guess one one thing I, that comes to mind is that as a frame builder, I've spent a whole lot of time in the shop and making the shop be a, a, a comfortable, enjoyable place to be, and um, and I've tried to communicate that in the book somewhat. Is is how how to make your space be one that that uh, that is conducive to to being out there and and enjoying messing around on the bike and and um, not like a suffer fest where you you know you're doing it in a closet with poor light and you and uh, you're you're doing the minimum required to make the bike wheels turn around and that's about it. So it's um uh, also I you know, the, the titles in the art of mountain bike maintenance clearly came from Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, which was a book that I loved in the seventies. And, and the, the book was very much about, you know, it was a guy and his son taking a motorcycle trip about, across the country. And it was really about, about this whole philosophical journey more than it was about working on the motorcycle. And they constantly had troubles with the motorcycles and how to, and, and the the philosophy of that—that that, um, if you don't approach it with a calm mind and a and really with love and acceptance, that you'll build your own personal problems into the machine. And uh, so to um, to create a space that you like being in, and certainly that applies to frame building. I mean, if you if you're hating your space, you're not gonna you're not gonna make great frames. And mm-hmm. uh, so. So uh, that it it certainly carries over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of my real loves about that book is how it really embraces the notion of process. Uh, Yes. And, you know, bringing a Zen mind uh, to whatever you're doing. Uh, You know, I've enjoyed seeing those quotes from Persig uh, in the book. Uh, So, yeah, big thumbs up on that for me. Not not that you needed it. Uh, you know, I do think I found one thing that you should have included in your inventory, and I'm surprised it's not there. What's that? Glasses. For all of us whose who's eyesight is getting older.
1: No oh, kidding. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It, it is true. I mean, like, um, I constantly am dealing with that. With that, You know, I have young, younger guys that work for me here, and then it'll be like, what crank length is on this? And I have to have them look because I can't read the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, you're right. That should be in there.
0: Well, you know, seventh edition, you know, which what that, that should take another six months, right?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leonard, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. Uh, I I really enjoy the book. It's been one of those things where I feel like I've known road bikes inside, out, backward, sideways, you know, for uh, 30 years. You know, there's never been a point at which road bikes have gotten difficult for me. But with mountain bikes, with suspension and hydraulic brakes, uh, there have been some things I've needed to learn. And I'm still not super comfortable you know, bleeding, uh, doing a full bleed on hydraulic brakes. Uh, and so, you know, having your book, uh, I'm, I'm, I've actually decided that over the next couple weekends, I'm going to do some and I'm, I'm going to really finally get on top of this. So thanks to you for that.
1: Glad.
0: Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much. Uh, and you take care.
1: Okay. You too. Thanks, Patrick.
0: Thanks to my guest, Leonard Zinn for joining me on the poll. To see more of his work, you can read him at VeloNews.com, see his bikes at ZinCycles.com, or his books at Velopress.com. There will be links in our show notes at Red Kite Prayer. That's it for this episode of The Poll. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to RKP's other podcast, The Pace Line, co-hosted by Selene Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine, I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.